welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 13, Simbri Wars Part 3, The Return of the Simbri and the Effects on Rome's Empire. So before we begin this episode, I just want to give you a quick note. This episode does not contain the battle that is being voted on on Facebook. So that will be with next episode. It's not this one. Also, I want to apologize for the fact that this episode and last episode were late in the middle of preparing for a move, so it might be a little bit for me to get back to a normal schedule. I still plan to release one next week. Um, we'll have to see about the week after. But I just want to let you guys know that I had other things going on to explain why these episodes haven't been released on a normal schedule. Alright, so last we left off, the Sembrai had been betrayed by Consul Carbo, and then they destroyed his army at the Battle of Noria. We also know that Carbo is able to escape this battle, make it back to Rome, and reports that not only did he allow the Sembrai to escape, but he wiped out one of Rome's armies in their time of need. So you can probably guess that Carbo didn't have much of a political career after this disaster. However, lucky enough for Rome, the Cimbri disappear. For the next four years, they're not in the historical record. Rome turns to deal with the renewed invasion into Thrace by some northern tribes and the war that has been going on in Numidia. From what we can tell, the Cimbri turn to the west and they push into Gaul, rather than to try to keep fighting the Romans. We don't have any knowledge of if they were being successful, or if they were being handed severe defeats. We do know, though, that they don't stay there. They don't find their permanent home, because in 109 BC, the Sembrai show up once again in the Rhone Valley, in southeastern Gaul, threatening Rome's control. Now, during these four years, Rome has not forgotten about the Sembrai. You don't forget about something that just destroyed one of your armies. A large tribe that has easily defeated the Romans without suffering any consequences whatsoever is something that the Romans cannot forgive. But Rome has been so busy trying to fight off threats in Greece and Africa to mount an expedition into Gaul to find and punish the Cimbri. To discuss what happens over the next two years, this is 109 to 107, we're going to spend some time talking about the sources, and I'm actually going to give you two examples to show you what we can use for this time period. The two that we're going to be looking at is Floris and the Pyrrhi of Livy. Now, the Pyrrhi of Livy is a collection of summaries of Livy's books into a series of headlines for the events. And these events are everything that takes place after 167 BC up to the time of Livy. Florus, on the other hand, is a writer from the 2nd century AD, and it's thanks to him that we have quite a bit of a history on the Roman Republic. And it does contain a couple of accounts of the few wars and histories of the time. So, we're going to look at what happens when the Sembrai show up 
through Floris and Livy's descriptions. So let's start with Floris. The Cimbri, Teutones, and Tigurni, fugitives from the extreme parts of Gaul since the ocean had overtaken their territories, began to seek new settlements throughout the world, and excluded from Gaul and Spain, descended into Italy and sent representatives to the camps of Salinas. This is Council M. Aeneas Salinas. And thence to the Senate, asking that the people of Mars, this is Rome, should give them some land by which to pay and use their hands and weapons for any purpose it wished. But what land could the Roman people give them when they were on the eve of a struggle amongst themselves about agrarian legislation? Thus repulsed, they began to seek by force of arms what they had failed to attain by entreaties. Salinas could not withstand the first attack of the barbarians. Alright, that's what Floris tells us. This is what Livy says. Consul Marcus Salinas lost the battle to the Cimbri. The Senate refused the demand of the envoy of the Cimbri for a home and a land on which to settle. That one's pretty short and sweet. Other sources mention the defeat of Salinas, except one by a man named Eutropus, who's from the 4th century A.D., who actually claims that Salinas won. Kind of odd. can probably discredit that one. But while Eutropus is the odd man out, there's still a major fight among these ancient historians on where this battle was fought, whether it laid in Italy or in southern Gaul, and something we still discuss today, what the exact makeup of the Cimbri army was, if it was just the Cimbri, or if there were other parties involved, such as Floris, who told us that it wasn't just the Cimbri, but the Teutonis and the Turgeni. And we also have issues on whether or not there was a battle, and then the Cimbri tried to reach out, or if the Cimbri tried to reach out first, and after being refused, there was a battle. And this isn't just us who are having these issues, the Romans at the time, well, not at the exact time it happened, but the Romans from the Roman Empire who are writing about this are arguing about this. They can't even get the events lined up correctly. Now, who knows? It could have been that the Cimbri surprised the Romans and snuck in to northern Italy before the Romans could react. I find it more likely that the Romans would not have allowed the Cimbri to come into northern Italy if they'd known they were on their way and would have met them in southern Gaul. However, again, they might have snuck through. We don't know 100%. As for the makeup of the Cimbri, you could go either way. It makes sense that the Cimbri wouldn't be alone at this point. You have to remember they have been pushing, they have been attacking other tribes. This is a constant wear down on their manpower. And if they are constantly fighting other tribes in Gaul, in Switzerland, and possibly over modern day Austria, then they will probably need other tribes to boost all the missing manpower from all those fights. Or they could have just been a new unity, a new tribe that became the Cimbri. There's no way knowing. Eventually, all 
the sources admit that the Sembrai aren't the only ones. But they don't admit that until certain times. So, for instance, Floris says it's with this invasion that the Sembrai are not alone. However, others, such as Livy, see it later on. I believe that the Sembrai weren't alone, that this was a combination. However, there's no way of proving it. We also have the issue of whether or not the Sembrai reached out first and then attacked, or they attacked and then reached out. And in both cases, it's highly plausible that the Sembrai would do so. Remember, the Sembrai have very little reason to trust the Romans. They reached out to the Romans, they apologized, they told them they were going to move on their way. The Romans seemed to be nice and then tried to ambush them. And not ambush their army, but ambush the tribe. Ambush the women, the children, and the old. Rome probably had very little, very little trust left from the Sembrai. Meanwhile, the Romans, of course, they don't like the Sembrai at all. They've lost an army to them. And that looks bad. But I could see the Sembrai either trying to reach out first, trying to avoid fighting, and offering the Romans a deal that will actually become a mainstay of the Roman Empire. The idea is that Rome will offer them some territory, and in trade, the Sembrai will fight for them. They can be used as mercenaries. The Roman Empire will use this, especially towards the fall of the Roman Empire. We will see a lot of this being done. But for the Roman Republic, this is a sign of weakness. A sign of weakness that they can't allow. Remember, unlike the Roman Empire, who's been around for forever, the Roman Republic, at this point, has just recently started to acquire all this new territory. And even then, it's not fully acquired. They're owned by allies. They're owned by those who they keep under a heavy thumb. And if the Sembrai are able to get the Romans to make this deal, well, it may convince territories such as Gaul and Spain that, hey, the Roman Republic's not as strong as it used to be. They're having to make deals with these tribesmen. Tribesmen that we could have been beating. Again, we don't know 100%. But tribesmen that the Gauls could have been beating have beaten the Romans. So clearly the Gauls have to be better than the Romans. So by offering this choice to the Romans, they really weren't giving the Romans much choice other than saying no. Because the Romans have to prove that they are the strongest. Or else their entire empire that they've been building starts to crumble. Whatever the case, if the Sembrai reached out first, or if they tried to reach out after winning another major battle, it's quite clear that the Sembrai defeated Consul Salinas. And again, we have no information about this battle. All we know is that Consul Salinas tried to fight and was defeated quite spectacularly. His army was crushed once more. So, poor Salinas. Maybe he tried to broker a deal between Rome and the Sembrai, hoping to avoid fighting, or at least buy time so he could build his army. Or maybe he wasn't given a choice and the Sembrai wanted to provide an example for the Senate. But Salinas 
is handed this massive defeat by the Cimbri. And then when he goes back to Rome, he is prosecuted by the Senate. Now, luckily for him, he's acquitted afterwards, which means that the Senate didn't find him to fault for this battle. Clearly, there were things beyond his control that led to his defeat. But the Cimbri have defeated another Roman army. And what do they do? Well, they move on. The Cimbri turn around and they go back into Gaul, leaving Rome probably feeling really lucky. However, this is not the end of the troubles for Rome. It's not that the Cimbri disappear forever. The ghost of the Cimbri remains. Rome has suffered two defeats by this tribe that has appeared out of nowhere. And this has proven to the tribes of Gaul and the Alps that Rome is no longer the big threat that it used to be. In 107 BC, probably a year after their latest defeat by the Cimbri, several Gallic tribes rise in revolt, especially the Tigurni, that tribe that was mentioned earlier by Floris. The Tigurni are located in modern-day Switzerland, and they started to attack the allies of Rome in the area, believing that Rome was too weak to get involved. There were two new consuls for that year, one of which was Marius, who will go down to Numidia, and he will actually play an important role in our story later on. And the other was Cassius Longinus. Marius goes to Numidia, and Cassius is ordered to crush the revolts caused by the Cimbri and restore order in Rome's Gallic territory. Historian Aureus describes what happens when Cassius moves to deal with the Tigurni. The consul, Cassius, who was in Gaul, pursued the Tigurni as far as the ocean, which in this case is the Atlantic. When Cassius was on his way back, he was surrounded and slain in ambush laid by the enemy. Lucius Piso a man of consular rank was also killed. The other legate, Populus, in accordance with the terms of a most disgraceful treaty, handed over to the Tigurni hostages and a half share of all Roman baggage. This was done in order to save the surviving part of the army, which had fled for the refuge of the camp. On returning to Rome, Populus was summoned to trial by the plebeian tribune, Coelius, on charges that he had given hostages to the Tigurni. Consequently, he had to flee into exile. So, that's three Roman armies defeated in about six years in the northwest. Two of those armies are wiped out completely, while the third loses about half strength, at least. Now, this battle probably didn't involve the Cimbri. They probably weren't involved in this ambush. The Cimbri aren't from this territory. They wouldn't know the lay of the land as well. This would have been Gallic tribes who knew where the Romans were going, how they were going to go, and where exactly to ambush them. 
Now, nothing is said on how Cassius is ambushed or the battle itself, but it's quite clear that the war goes terribly wrong for the Romans. This battle is a disaster. The situation is even worse for the Romans because this army is not crushed, but is captured by the barbarians, quote-unquote, and forced to sign a desperate treaty from a position of weakness, something that Rome never does. Rome always forces their enemies and their allies to sign from a position of weakness. And you have to feel sorry for the one guy who is left in charge. His boss has been killed, the second-in-command has been killed, and he has no hopes of breaking out. His army has routed to their camps. No orders left. And so he does the only thing he can do. He surrenders. He gives over hostages. He hands over half the baggage. But he's blamed for this defeat. Rome needs a scapegoat. They're in the middle of a huge crisis at home. They're about to have the Gracchis being killed. They can't afford to have this go unpunished. And so, he's blamed, and he has to leave Rome for good. With the defeat of the Romans by the Cimbri, and then probably by the Tigurni, they never state for sure what tribe is the one that ambushes the Romans. But, with the defeat by the Cimbri, and let's just assume the Tigurni, Rome's empire in Gaul begins to collapse. Volcae, a former ally of Rome, rises up in revolt, and Rome is unable to put it down. And Rome is now caught in the state of permanent crisis in the northwest, where their former allies start to revolt, start to break away. And this land passage that they've been building to Spain disappears. Rome will have to adapt. They'll have to make some changes to their way of life if they're ever going to recover Gaul and to defeat the Cimbri. Attempts were made at this point to reform military service, which would allow more people into the army. Because at this point, fighting three wars and having lost two and a half armies in one war so far, Rome has to be having some severe manpower shortages. So some laws are being changed to allow more people into the military. But the Senate of Rome, they don't want to risk changing everything because it could disrupt their control. It could disrupt their power. And so for Rome, especially the citizens, things look like they're on the verge of complete disaster in the north. Gauls and revolt. How much longer is it going to be before they cross into the Alps and lay waste to Rome like they did a hundred years before? However, luckily for them, those tribes in Thrace have been handed a massive defeat and will be retreating, leaving the Romans alone for good. Amaras, the consul who went to Africa instead of dealing with the problems in Gaul, 
while he has started to successfully cut down the Numidians under Ugartha. And eventually, will have turned that disastrous war into a stunning Roman victory, making Maurus a Roman hero in time of desperate need. Alright, so that'll do it for this episode. Next time we will talk, the Romans will be given nearly their entire attention to the Sembrai. Because in 106, Jugurtha has been defeated, Thrace is no longer under threat, and the Romans finally have a couple more armies that they're ready to throw at the Sembrai. And this battle will rank as one of the most important ones for the Roman Empire and Republic. The battle is called Arisio. This is the battle that can be voted on on the Facebook page. So please visit us on the Facebook page and vote on who you think will win this battle. The Romans or the Sembrai. If you haven't had a chance, please feel free to also like the page. If you guys wouldn't mind, if you're listening to this on iTunes or any other network that has a review section, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a little review down below, that would be much appreciated so that'll do it for today I hope you all have a great week and I'll see you next Tuesday